0: Hello, I'm Heidi and I'll be doing the Bible reading today. Um, we're going to be reading from Matthew starting Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect." Oh, hi, everyone. Uh, It's so great to be here. Uh, It's so great to be opening God's Word together. I'd encourage you to have a Bible in front of you and to keep it open uh, to our passage in Matthew 5. Uh, We're going to be looking at it closely together. Uh, So as we've already established, my name is Luke, uh, and I'm a regular member of church at 6.30. And I wanted to start by saying Happy New Year. Year. Excellent. Well done, everyone. Uh, It's so wonderful to be here. I love New Year's. Uh, It's a fresh start. It's a blank page. Uh, Many people across the world take this opportunity to set themselves New Year's resolutions, uh, a goal that they want to achieve in 2023. Uh, That old phrase, New Year, New Me, love it. Uh, I want to get fit. I want to eat more healthily, spend more time with my family. I want to read my Bible every single day. Maybe you joined me in reading Genesis 1 this morning. We're going all the way. Uh, five years ago, when Tash and I were newly married, I had this brilliant plan to make 2018 the year where I got into running every morning. Worst two days of my life. <laughs> well, this morning we're going to be looking at some words that Jesus spoke Be perfect. How's that for a New Year's resolution? Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. On face value, it seems completely unrealistic, totally unachievable. It feels like we're going to go the way that most New Year's resolutions go, the two-day special. Um, But it's even more than that. It seems to go against what we know as Christians to be true. Christians are people who are saved by grace, not by being perfect. What is Jesus on about here? As Ed mentioned over the next few weeks at OEC, we're going to be looking at a few different parts of the Gospels where Jesus says things which are hard for us to understand, things which when we hear them make us think, did Jesus really say that? Now I wanted to start off by giving two tips to understanding difficult passages from Scripture. Uh, Firstly, uh, many of us here over time have Built up what we call a theological framework, uh, which is a fancy way of saying the things that we hold to be true that help us to understand things that are hard. I want to suggest that when we come to unpacking difficult parts of the scriptures, uh, which we are going to do over the next couple of weeks, that we ought to genuinely grapple with the words of Jesus. Rather than jumping quickly into our secure and safe framework, Uh, let's listen to the good words of our Lord. Uh, Let's let them shape our minds rather than having our framework shape his words. Secondly, when we encounter things in Scripture that are difficult to understand, we need to look closely at the context. Context is king. We want to avoid taking passages like this in isolation, uh, but to try and understand them as they are presented in the Bible. Jesus' call to be perfect is challenging. It pushes us and makes us uncomfortable, not only in the way that we think, but also in the way that we try to live our lives. So as we expand and we look at the context of this passage, we're going to see that it's not just one challenging passage here, but three. Three sentences of Jesus which push us to do or to think things which challenge the way we live and these things all work together to show us how to respond to Jesus' instruction to be perfect. So let's dive into them together, hey? And my hope is that these words wouldn't be problematic for us, uh, but precious. Uh, for note takers, there's an outline of the talk uh, in the handout you received on your way in. Uh, feel free to take some notes in there. So our passage today in Matthew 5 is in the Sermon on the Mount, Uh It's a section of the gospel where Jesus unpacks how to live. Uh, And in this particular part of the sermon, Jesus has been taking parts of the Old Testament law and he's been sharpening them. Uh, He's been intensifying them, targeting our hearts. And he starts this way back before our verses today, back in verse 21. He says, you have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And he does this with a huge range of different subjects. Adultery, divorce, oaths, justice. Jesus takes the words of the Old Testament and intensifies them. And as we listen to Jesus' words throughout the chapter, our shoulders begin to slump. It feels like Jesus is piling up an insurmountable burden of moral failure on our shoulders. Which brings us to today's passage. Look at the start of our passage again today, Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Um, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus is taking the Old Testament law and intensifying it one final time. Uh, Particularly here, he's taking the words of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, which says these words, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbours as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, interestingly here, in Leviticus, the call to hate your enemy, which we find in Matthew, the phrase that Jesus is intensifying here, doesn't appear. There is no call to hate your enemy. And if we search a little more broadly, the call to hate your enemy doesn't appear in the book of Leviticus. So we search a little more broadly, and the call to hate your enemy doesn't appear in the whole Old Testament. Jesus is correcting false teaching here. Uh, It seems that at the time there was an assumption made surrounding this command to love your neighbour means the opposite must also be God's will. We must hate our enemies. But this is not true. Uh, This is not God's will. Jesus tells us that we must love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Now, these are really hard things to do. For some of us here today, there might be a relationship that you're thinking of when you read these words, where things have gone south, where you're stuck in a pattern of negative, painful interactions. For some of us, the lunch table at Christmas is a fresh reminder of this. But Jesus' command here isn't just an interpersonal command, is it? Look right at the end of that section, at the end of the verse. It says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, verse 45, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So Jesus is saying here that to love your enemies is to be like God who has loved his enemies. So I think understanding how God has loved his enemies is the key to knowing how to love our enemies. We can see how God does this in Romans, uh, chapter 5, verse 10. Um, Uh, For if while we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? This shows us how God loved his enemies. He loved you and me, his enemies. We were enemies of God and he sent his son Jesus to die so that we could be reconciled to him. The most costly reconciliation in all of history. This reconciliation was costly and complete and it brings great glory to God. Now this notion that we are were enemies of God is really challenging. But it's deserved, isn't it? because of how we have treated him. Uh, We have ignored and rejected him. Uh, We have tried to live our lives as though he doesn't exist. We deserve to be his enemies. And we deserve the punishment that comes with it. But for those who trust in Jesus, he has loved us, his enemies. And he has reconciled us to himself through the death of his son who takes on our punishment of death onto his shoulders. If you're here with us today and you don't trust in Jesus, it's just fantastic that you're here. We're really excited to have you. Um, But I want to suggest that if what I'm saying is true, if we are by nature enemies of God, it means that things are probably a little more urgent than you realise. Why don't you make 2023 the year where you really look into this stuff? It might be the most important thing you've ever done. So as we think about how we can be reconciled with our enemies, how we can love them, we need to start here. We have been enemies of God and he has loved us and made us, in his, made us his children. If you are in a situation where the call to love and pray for your enemies is really difficult and restoration seems impossible, Know that restoration and reconciliation aren't always the same thing. I want you. I don't want to encourage you to pray expectantly. Um, While striving for restoration is seemingly impossible, reconciliation is possible through the Spirit of Jesus. Uh, this reconciliation will be costly to you, and it may not be reciprocated or complete, but it will glorify God. This moves us to our second challenging sentence of Jesus. Uh, He elaborates on the first one by showing us how God loves his enemies. Read with me in verse 45. Uh, For God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, in the same way that we saw how God loved his enemies, we can see here that he showers his blessings upon them showing no favoritism, and we call this his common grace, the good gifts he gives to everybody, even his enemies. But this raises an issue for us, doesn't it? In this verse, the generous God, who blesses all, appears to be blindly generous, as though he doesn't care about the evils in the world. In fact, there is a theme throughout the scriptures of evil and unrighteous people prospering. Throughout all of Scripture, we see particularly in the wisdom literature, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that sums it up nicely. Uh, There is a futility done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve. And there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. Why is it like this? By blessing evil people, isn't God just pouring fuel on the fire? Now, this is a big topic, and I'm going to scratch the surface today, but I want to encourage you, if you do have questions about this, come and talk to me or to Ed or anyone else you've seen up the front here. Uh, We would be happy to think through these questions with you. Uh, Firstly, we should be very thankful that God blesses the unrighteous, uh, because that's you and me. Remember, we were God's enemies. So daily, God demonstrates his goodness to all people, none of whom are deserving. He gives us all sun and rain and food and music and other wonderful things to all people. His generosity to evil does not disprove his goodness. It proves his goodness, and we can thank God for that. Secondly, we can trust that God will one day call evil to account. He has set a day of judgment when Jesus will right, wrong, punish evil and bring justice. Until that time, he showers his goodness upon us and he is patient with those who do evil. We're going to be thinking about that particular element of God blessing evil people more deeply in a couple of weeks. Um, So if you're around in January, come along. It's going to be great. Uh, Thirdly, and most importantly, God's greatest blessing is available to everyone. He has offered to have relationship with us, even though we were his enemies. Even though the fair and just thing to do would be to destroy us all for our rebellion against him, God offers forgiveness, redemption and life through Jesus. Jesus who came to call not the righteous, but sinners. Have you accepted his offer yet? If you have, you are one of the many unrighteous, unworthy people who, by the grace of God, he has redeemed. Praise God. And this brings us to our final section of our passage today, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What do you think of when you think of perfection? Maybe a beachside holiday with a good book, good coffee. Maybe it's when the family gets together. Maybe it's the feeling of having all of your work done. Whatever it is, perfection is something that is deeply desirable for us, right? But whatever your idea of perfection is, I'm sure it's different from the person either side of you or in front of you. But note what Jesus' idea of perfection is here. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is not subjective perfection. Jesus is pointing to God and telling us that our perfection ought to look like this. Jesus points to the examples of tax collectors in verse 46 who love their own and to Gentiles in verse 47 who love their own. But God's perfection is demonstrated in his love for his enemies. Now, this passage, this call to be perfect, is problematic for us on a couple of different levels. Firstly, we know that Jesus is talking to a bunch of imperfect people, people who have come to him to be healed and fed and taught. These are not perfect people. And Jesus' call, his command to be perfect, seemingly cannot undo their imperfect past. Maybe you're here and you feel the weight of that today. How could Jesus ask me, To be perfect, if he knew who I am, what I've done. A second issue with this passage is that as Christians, we're on about salvation by grace. I thought the whole point was that we didn't need to be perfect. How can Jesus ask us to be perfect when he knows we're sinners and he knows we'll need saving? We can feel this passage rubbing up against our theological frameworks. And it makes us pretty uncomfortable. So let's think together about Jesus' words and where we turn to become perfect. It's a great time to be doing this, New Year's. We need to start with the recognition that Jesus desires us to be perfect, otherwise, he wouldn't have said it. Jesus is not a near enough is good enough kind of guy, he says, be perfect. Now, again, that's appealing but daunting, right? It sounds like a great but impossible task. How can we possibly do as Jesus says? One way that people have tried is through practice. Uh, I'm, as I've already said, I'm a piano player, and each week I plead with children young and old to practice. Uh, you've probably heard the saying, practice makes perfect, Well, as someone who's done a lot of practice in his time, I can say with pretty good authority, it's not quite true. (laughs) As a performer, I could practice a section of a piece hundreds of times, and if I'm practicing with bad habits, it will never become true. It will never become perfect. In fact, as we do it, those habits become a lot stronger and harder to work through. I think a more apt saying would be practice makes permanent that thing that we take and we repeat over and over and over doesn't become perfection, but habit. So, by our own nature, we can't practice till we're perfect. We need an external perfection to come upon us. We need Jesus. As we read through the Sermon on the Mount and we see Jesus taking the words of the Old Testament and intensifying them. We feel like failures, but we need Jesus who says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. We need Jesus who is perfect on every count. But how does Jesus' perfection help us to be perfect? There seems like there's a disconnect here. Well... Look at these words in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. So where can we turn to be perfect? We go to the cross. There is the place we find the offering through which our perfection is guaranteed, the place where Jesus took our imperfect past and our future failings upon himself and dealt with the punishment. We go to the cross. That's the place where we see God loving us, his enemies. That's the place where we see God cursing the righteous Jesus with our curse in order to offer us, the unrighteous, The greatest blessing by taking their punishment. Go to the cross. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. So in 2023, are you going to make a New Year's resolution to be perfect? Will you strive to do it in your own strength through habit? Or will you go to the cross? This year, let's resolve to be Christians who turn regularly and thankfully to Calvary, to Jesus who loved his enemies. Let's make 2023 a year where we draw near to our saviour and our perfecter. Let's pray to him. Gracious Father, we want to thank you for your perfect love, which you pour out on us day by day. Thank you that you are perfect and that you have perfected us at the cross. Help us to love our enemies like you have loved us. In the name of your son, Jesus, the perfect one. Amen.